Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 56 to KIX. Hi, Alex. Oh, nice. I'm going there in October for the first time. Yeah, Kansai. This is an interesting airport. The reason, though, we chose that airport is because now I'm not only talking to Alex, the creator of shows, I got Ashe, not Alex, my buddy and co-host of the podcast, my good friend. Also, we work together, but the author... You have a book out. I mean, not yet out, but we were thinking of talking about this book whilst it was being crowdfunded, and actually, you smashed the goal so quickly. Yeah, tell us about the book. I'm I'm very excited. We we launched yesterday the Attaché Guide to Travel Volume One on Kickstarter, and the book project was actually the first Attaché idea that I had. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we just it, it just felt like too much of a pain in the butt to do, so we we did the sh- the app and then the show and the app is in the ether but yeah we launched and we 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 reached our goal on day one thanks in large part to you and your (laughs) cheerleading and your contributions and everything like that so i have unlimited thanks to give to you but yeah it's exciting and it's we uh, we still have 27 days to go as of today, which is the 22nd of June of, of funding. So we're going to do a lot more fun stuff on there. Yeah, I've actually stayed up until it was funded. That happened at 1.26 a.m. Yeah, London you're better time. than me. I went to bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I told you. I promised you. I will actually. Greg Annandale, who's also part of your project, was also with me. And we were like exchanging back and forth. At some point, you were nine pounds close to the goal. <laughs> and it was not moving for like 20 minutes. We're like, come on, come on. It yeah, was, I mean, it, uh, Lots of fun. It was nice to wake up in the morning and glance at my phone and see we'd broken through that ceiling. So, But it's still there. If you want to find it, I think the easiest way to do is just to go on kickstarter.com and search for travel. And there's only four things on there. And ours is obviously attache guide to travel. If you want to get involved at all, I would be honored no matter what you what you pledge. There's kind of some fun stuff. If you want to drop three grand, I'll come to your city and film a show <laughs> with you in it. No one's got that one yet. It's still there. There's only one of those. And actually, we had a, quite a few listeners of this show we, yes. because we also use the layovers, Twitter, and Facebook accounts to talk about this. And we had quite a few. Actually, some of the names were like, wow, Mathieu was one of them. Yeah, people and have been others. unbelievably generous. Cobus in, in Cape Town has... Has yes. been just awesome, not only with his contribution, but just been a huge cheerleader, Rich, as well in Cape Town, both of whom were uh, in a very amusing segment <laughs> on, our, on our Cape Town episode. But it's just been wonderful. It's been life-affirming. And I mean that. It's been one, it's <laughs> been it's been an extraordinary process because people have been so kind and generous financially and spiritually. It's It's been wonderful to see. Now we actually have and- to go and make the book. <laughs> <laughs> and you... You are also, because it's a travel guide, you also are talking about airports. So there is a link to layover, guys. It's not here. Yeah, there's a whole section on airports for every city. Yes. Including Osaka? Yeah, which is why, because it's volume one, Asia and Oceania. So this is why we wanted to go back to Asia for this show. You haven't been to KIX, Kansai. I've been several times. I'll talk about it at the end of the show. It's quite a fascinating airport with another fascinating story. It seems like all Japanese airports have some convoluted and tough history behind them. But again, Congress. 
congrats, Alex. It's Thank you. Uh, I'm really, really amazed. Um, I was backer number seven. I couldn't be number one for crying out loud, <laughs> but in my heart, I am. And also your latest episode, because that's a tie-in with one of our previous episodes about Berlin, Attaché on YouTube, is out. And you are mentioning Brent Borg, and you are mentioning a few of the things, of course, in less details that we went through yeah. uh, in the episode about Berlin, about Schoenfeld. But I mean, look, look at it, guys. It's a cool episode as well. Uh, since we are on doing some plugs, I want to do two uh, quick ones. Uh, one is simply for a friend. Oli X is based here. He says nothing really to do about aviation, but he's an awesome guy. And he's a crazy dude. <laughs> he's going to attempt to basically rowing for 14 months uh, around uh, the circumpolar. So he's going to go around. Whoa. Yeah, exactly. There's no money involved. I'm pu- going to put the link in the show notes. Uh, guys, I promise the show notes will be back very shortly. It's on ralu.com, R-A-L-L-O.com. You look for uh, Oli X. He's simply looking for awareness. He's looking for 2 million people to just say, hey, I'm supporting you. There's no money involved. It's just about creating awareness because he wants to raise money for sponsorship. This is He's a crazy guy. I love him. He's done already stuff like that, like crazy adventures. I know it's not air travel, but it's another way of traveling. I mean, roaring in the the dark seas. What an amazing story. Pretty, pretty intense. The other other person I want to also do a plug because he's been very helpful to us since the beginning is Eric Hoffman at The Husband in on Twitter. He's um, you know, a blogger. He has a podcast as well. They do some videos with his wife. They travel around the world. They just, they were for a long while, I think, based in uh, Bangkok and around. They were moving around. I think they're originally from the US. They are moving back to Southern Europe because, oh. you know, the food, the sun. <laughs> uh, and uh, they've actually written a book. Uh, it's the Food Traveler's Guide to Emilia Romagna. So that's in, in Italy. The book is on Amazon. Uh, I also recommend it because, I mean, I know that you, Alex, of all people, love food. Yeah, yeah. I am, for all people, I'm a super fan of Italy. I'm actually going to Italy in four days. Uh, for a quick R&R, also some work, but uh, I'm going to finally have some uh, days off. So Alex, I will be off your back for a little few days. <laughs> <laughs> Flying BA. And you know what? Thank God, actually, I have this uh, my gold status because uh, I can actually, you know, choose my seat way before and I was able to get uh, an emergency exit because, yes, I'm flying coach, guys. You see, I'm not always flying in the front of the cabin. So here are the few plugs. I'll put the link in the show notes. I've asked on Twitter if people were missing the show notes. I've had a few answers that, yes, we are missing the show notes. We want to see them. So, guys, I promise you, I will put them back. Uh, Alex and I have had a whirlwind of travels and being busy. I mean, you know, see why Alex was busy with the book, with other stuff as well, work-related. And we are recording this while we travel. I've been on seven weeks of travels, which explains why I didn't have the time to do the show notes. But I will promise to, I will do them in the summer. And I will take into account that from now on, I will try to put them right when I publish the show. There you go. That was a long, long, long introduction to our show for once. <laughs> Reviews. We love that review, both of us. That Airplane Dude uh, from the UAE on iTunes, five stars. Again, thank you. Amazing kind. podcast. As an AV geek and a cadet pilot from the Middle East, I couldn't be happier to listen to 
anything else but this during my runs. Keep the great work and hope to bump into you guys in Dubai. Yeah, absolutely. And having people that are pilots that are actually doing this. Yes, because we are just in front of a microphone and talking about it. You are the ones that are flying us. So, well, thank you so, so much. Uh, Also, Gleb Martinov on uh, Facebook. Awesome podcast. Keep it up, guys. And uh, Vasilis Kolovos also on Facebook. Five stars. Fantastic podcast about aviation. I eagerly await each new episode. Great rapport between the two hosts. Keep it up. That's yeah. kind. And as you see, I've basically monopolized the voice and Alex is uh, silence for the minutes of this show. <laughs> no, this is lovely to hear. It really is. Thank you guys for, for listening and for taking the time to do this. So we're, we're in London, both of us. Uh, we're melting. <laughs> the the weather it's crazy. I mean, you're hearing uh, some thunderstorms on your side of London. I'm hearing them still very far away, so we might have some cooling finally. But have you seen that uh, Sky Arbor, Phoenix, uh, had to uh, cancel flights? They couldn't take off. Yeah, they couldn't take off. A bunch of regional flights were canceled. But in here, in, here in London, they were having to water down the tarmac at Gatwick because what? they were afraid it was going to melt. No way. I didn't see yeah. that. Oh, yeah, there was pictures of, uh, of, of fire trucks spraying down the tarmac because the, the surface temperature was getting to the point where a heavy plane might might sink into it. So it's it's been it's been the hottest June in the UK for 40 years. Wow. So in Phoenix they had 119 degrees and just for you guys to understand uh, Boeing and Airbus most of these airplanes have a limit at around uh, I think 126. So 120 is around 40 degrees, uh, 50 degrees, sorry. So 126. But CRGs, for instance, the Bombardier, are 119. So it's not safe to fly, obviously, when it's too hot. Uh, there were even worse temperatures in uh, in Dubai, actually. They reached 52 degrees Celsius oh. or something. <laughs> The, the, the luck I think that Dubai has is that Dubai is a mostly uh, nighttime operation airports. Wow. I... I I can't even comprehend that heat. Uh, I've I've experienced well I don't know what it would be in Fahrenheit in uh, in centigrade but 122 degrees in Phoenix Arizona once. But I have to admit people always say oh it's a dry heat and it that actually does take the edge off and when there's a breeze yeah. yes it does feel like standing in front of a fan assisted oven but it, that also takes the edge off but I would imagine that in Dubai there is an element of humidity there and yeah, there I is. just cannot imagine what that must feel like i've been a few times in dubai in the summer so when it's really that hot and there's humidity and having been also in phoenix in the past where it's really dry i mean yeah it's not the same i'd rather have dry but i mean anyway i'd rather not have 120 plus degrees or 50 plus degrees in celsius ever i mean i like some warmth i mean in london we don't have that much often yeah no no definitely not complaining about like what it's been like (laughs) between 29 and 34 my house, certainly, I don't know about yours, isn't equipped for that type of heat. No. <laughs> so it's no. been pretty unbearable in the evenings. But sitting outside on a, uh, you know, in, in the evening has been has been fantastic. So Yeah, delightful. Uh, I have also my office is on the last floor, so Ooh. that's even great. It's even worse. But I mean, I am becoming very brave by talking about the weather all the time. <laughs> Uh, just a quick uh, shout out to again Vasilis, uh, whom I mentioned just before. He sent us a very interesting article on uh, climate change and how it will affect, and it is already affecting air travel. Of course, air travel is one of the 
culprit of the that climate change because you know there's a lot of carbon emissions. We had these discussions with uh, Tony Tyler yeah. when he was on the show. Uh, just to say that we will at some point do an episode where we'll talk about this topic when we will actually have time to prepare it. I had taken many notes uh, along with Alex to, for a show that was supposed to be recorded when we had this interruption last year, but we will do one and we might even f- try to find someone who knows uh, these type of things yeah, better than us. Yeah, it would be good to get somebody who who understands aviation's effect uh, at a scientific level on, on climate change, because I think that would be a fascinating discussion. And if there's anything that we can do as travelers to mitigate our impact on on an individual level. I mean, you can always, you know, take the uh, pay something for carbon, but that's not actually really the flight is still taking off. Yeah, I think it's getting better. We had a bit of discussion with Tony Tyler. Obviously, Tony, part of IATA was defending the airlines, but we will talk about it more one day. Uh, oh, go I need to go close the windows in my car. <laughs> go, 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 go. Sorry. Go. It's pissing <laughs> it down like fat tropical raindrops. <laughs> I think, guys, you know what? I'm going to leave that bit in the show whilst Alex is not there. He will not realize that until the episode is actually out. Uh, <laughs> see, we actually are in live conditions. I might have to do the same, by the way, later. I'm hearing some thunderstorms afar, so I might have to close all the windows at my place too. <laughs> That's like being in Singapore, like that article that Mark posted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fat, huge brain. Yeah. Oh pissing my it God. Down. Wow. So from uh, Dubai to Paris, it was the big trade, Paris Sachaux, Le Bourget. Yeah. It's still going on today, June 22nd, of course. Too many things to discuss on a single show, and we're just going to glance into it. But the big one, which is not the big one, but the one that everybody talked about, and it's linked with Emirates, is that Airbus uh, presented the A380 Plus. So it's not a Neo. (laughs) It's Plus. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, basically, there's like these big, fat wingtips, you know, the um, the winglets. I've looked into them. They're almost five meters tall, so they must be quite impressive to see. But besides that, you know, they're not selling the aircraft. We said actually in the last episode, I think, that Singapore was ditching the 380, yeah. but they actually are waiting for new ones that they already had ordered. So they're not ditching the entire program of oh, 380, but they're not buying new ones. But it seems like a half-assed version of a new 380 doesn't it yeah it's it's not there was nothing that you're like oh wow this is what's going to save the 380 project it was just you know incremental increases in efficiency and cabin space and a few other bits and pieces the sharklets or winglets but everything else i you know it just seemed a little bit like grasping at straws <laughs> absolutely it it looks so guys it looks exactly the same just go for uh, online to find 380 plus i think they also had to rework a little bit the wings meaning that these won't be able to be retrofitted to early 380s it has to be the new version but all the rest that they've announced was pretty much announced already. So basically the cabin improvements, the fact that they have like 11 seats abreast in economy, they are removing, you know, these fantastic storage on the side yeah. that we have on the upper deck. They're removing to add some more space there, which would increase, for instance, premium economy or economy or even probably premium seats like business and first class. So they really are just, you know, finding space here and there to basically increase the number of people who can put in a plane. 
Yeah, because you know that it's not going to be increased space per seat. It's going to be to cram more people into those into, <laughs> into economy. But yeah, it was sort of it was a, a honing more than anything revolutionary. And it, yeah, again, exactly. it just seemed a slightly desperate move. If it was like twenty percent increase in efficiency, or you know, taking some of the the construction technology from the from the A350, then I think perhaps there would have been a little bit more of a hullabaloo, but there just, there wasn't other than no, those sharklets, which look kind of cool. There's a video online, guys. If you look for E3 AT Plus online, you'll find it, which shows you all the improvements. But most of the improvements, as I just said earlier, were announced, including the big one, which is to remove all of that big staircase, uh, the front of the, yes. the, the aircraft. They're doing a staircase that looks like a very narrow staircase. It will go down for the staff so to have like a rest area and go up if you want to go to the, obviously, the second floor. And also the staircase at the end, if you've ever had the chance to, walk you could ask a flight crew usually they're very happy to do so you have this uh, circular staircase at the end they're also removing it to put one that actually again everything to increase space they bailed a bit i guess they had to do something because emirates was not happy at all did they did they remove the front staircase or are they just making it smaller they have one but it's not this big fat you yeah, know the kind going of cruise down liner yeah it's closer now to the second door so it's not at, at the front and it's really like literally a horizontal staircase it goes in two modules and you go up a bit like some of the 747s you know like something a bit uh, narrow yeah if you have, that's yeah, quite that's nice a, then again, you know, most airports do board people in the upper deck with a uh, jet bridge at the upper deck and people on the lower deck with jet bridges in the lower deck. So you rarely actually use a third case. So I understand why they would do that. It just gives a less feeling of grandeur yeah, to that aircraft. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 was, I, I was impressed. That was one of the things about the A380 beyond its size and scale and everything like that, that I just really got a kick out of and made me smile the first time I experienced it was that huge staircase. It seems so benign, but it's, it is. It, it, grandeur is exactly the right word. Because yeah. there's nothing else like it since the 747 that had anything like that. Yeah, and talking about a 747, that one is really dying, right? It is. And I thought that that article, that was, was it in the Chicago? S uh, Seattle Times. Seattle Times that basically said even Boeing is now saying, you know, it, it's the end of the 747 <laughs> as a passenger plane. No yeah. one is ordering it. And the line is being kept open for VIP and cargo pretty much exclusively now. And the Air Force Ones. And Air Force One, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's probably a, a healthy thing for them to acknowledge and admit and for us all to get comfortable with. But it's still... It's still sad. I still have not been on a 748. I might. I'm still waiting for the confirmation, so I'm going to only talk about it on the next episode, which might only be in two and a half, three weeks because of travels, and it'll be always away. I might fly the 747-8i, so the passenger version, even cool. twice. Fingers crossed, guys. I hope I do. I hope also I'll be on the upper deck uh, because uh, it's somebody actually buying it for me. So I have less uh, room to play. So I really hope I will get into this. But yeah, it, it's going away. I think um, UPS is a freighter version. They're getting one or their uh, two. It's all, almost rolled out. So it is a very cool looking plane. Thank God for the, uh, for the freighters, for the cargo guys, because otherwise this plane would actually disappear. And we're not happy about it at all. We're very no. big fans of that one <laughs> back to the 380 for a, a second uh, had you seen this uh, Porsche Cayenne that was able to pull 380 I think it was an Air France if yeah, I remember I correctly <laughs> okay I mean of course it was to show that a Porsche Cayenne a super Got major torque, torque and, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. but it, it's cool it and was cool 
And, you know, it also means that, well, if uh, 380 is stranded at Frankfurt because Frankfurt has all these fancy cars for VIPs and, you know, first-class passengers, they could simply basically bolt the 380 to a Porsche, Porsche Cayenne. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, if push comes to shove. Because is it Delta that uses the Porsche Cayenne for their VIP customers? Somebody does. You know I, I know that uh, it's one of the options at Lufthansa. Lufthansa, I think, also has Audis and uh, probably Cayennes. Well, I, I, guys, I never flew first on, <laughs> and I'm not a Han member on Lufthansa, so I don't know. So uh, we should ask Ben Schlappig and ask. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'd love if to any know. one of you guys has ever flown uh, to, especially Frankfurt with the the first terminal uh, that is dedicated for first class passengers with those cars that you know get you around. Please let us know. <laughs> Would be very jealous, obviously. I've actually seen a, a Tesla for. VIP passengers on the tarmac in Geneva. Ah, That's very nice. Just also, because she's a friend of mine, she was in high school with me, Mo, she's called. You know, I was just browsing YouTube like I do to watch Attaché, obviously, and other videos of aircrafts and whatevers. And Emirates just pulled a video of Sky Cargo, so the cargo division of Emirates, about the first ever supercar designed and built entirely in the UAE. It's called a Generali Design uh, 001. And that friend of mine is actually one of the members of that crew that built that car. So I just want to say hi. And I, it's so cool to That's see friends neat. you were in high school with. And then they, they build supercars, and these supercars end up in an Emirates uh, 777-300ER, I think it was, to be catered all around the world so, so yeah cool. kudos <laughs> since we're in paris 737 max 10 yes do you like it i do i think it's a very sharp looking airplane isn't it it seems that they're stretching the same version of this plane over and over and over but you know it's a very sturdy airplane yeah it's right? it's part of this burgeoning market of narrow body long haul possibly intercontinental airplanes people like uh you know JetBlue are looking at it and obviously Norwegian are using that type of aircraft to do uh, transoceanic flights to the US as well as the 787 so there's this new market that's kind of emerged when low cost carriers are looking into transatlantic services and and things similar that would require a plane with that level of of capacity and efficiency but yeah it looks like a it's a very cool looking airplane Rainer Oler, the head of corporate commerce from Airbus, tweeted, latest iteration of a 1960s airframe naturally launched at a museum. <laughs> That's yeah, these guys. yeah. You know what? I, 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 like, I said this to you on, on thing. I like that those guys have a, a this bantery relationship. You know, they, they, there's competition between them. I think it's a good thing. But, you know, the 737, you know, if you looked in the sky at anywhere in the world right now, there's 737s all over it. It is an extraordinarily yeah. popular and extremely good airplane. Not that the, the A319 and 20s and all that stuff aren't, but there's so much, you know, you, why would you want to improve on something that's almost perfect? <laughs> you should work for Boeing. Actually, Boeing, I mean, we're not at the end yet, but it seems that Boeing won the ad. Tons and tons and tons of orders of uh, 737s, mostly yeah. the, the 10 version, of course, because, you know, right now, the biggest competition is a 321, a 321neo. And yes. 321neo actually outsells Boeing's by five to one, at least. They have 80% of the market. Boeing had to react and had to come up with something that would compete. Of course, this is why then, you know, uh, I think... Uh, 
Leary said, but I'm not sure, so the CEO of Airbus uh, customers uh, said that uh, the biggest uh, competition for the Dash 10 is the Dash 9. So actually they compete with each other, like saying that, you know, the 321neo is in a class of its own. But even in the US, it's actually uh, winning. So they had to do something. They kind of hinted at this 797. They don't call it like what, but there's this slide where they kind of show that by 2025, 2030, they will have a replacement for... The fifty-seven, basically. Yeah, they've 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 basically come out and and said it. And again, you, they didn't say seven nine seven, but no. they basically said that this is next thing, and it's still got a bunch of different code names. But like you say, there was this slide that's like this is where it's going to slot, and this is what it's going to look like, and it's essentially a seven fifty-seven, seven sixty-seven replacement. And again, Airbus had to react. They said that you know they were late-ish in uh, releasing the three fifty compared to the seven eighty-seven, but they said the fact that we're late. We were able to see what the competition was offering, and then we did a larger plane, a more efficient plane, a silencer plane, et cetera, et cetera. So they're going like, we're not worried about this one because we'll be ready. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> yeah. It's, anyway. it, it's a, it was a very good, and it's still going on, as you said, Paris Air Show for Boeing. I will say something that is a bit sad, and it will come back to you, Alex. Uh, Virgin America was and is the launch customer of the A321neo. Yes. But they didn't talk about it. Nobody talked about it. They didn't publicize it no. because Alaska is basically a Boeing customer. And I guess they like they had to take ownership of the plane. They didn't really want them. Isn't it a bit sad that you get a new aircraft, it's brand new, you're the first ever customer to have it with revenue flights, and you're not even... Yeah, he's even tweeting about it. They they did a few, uh, you know, little quick mentions about it, but nothing, nothing crazy. And you're right, because you're the launch customer for the whole thing. They did a little bit of PR on the first flights. In fact, there were like four trip reports on airliners about this this launch flight from San Francisco to DC. And, you know, people were very complimentary, but there was not a lot of shouting at all. It's the perfect airplane for them for these transcons. They've ordered eight of them, I think, two are in service. I saw one on the ground in uh, San Francisco and I was there over the weekend. It's a very cool looking airplane because it's long for a A32X. And it's got obviously the the beautiful big winglets, but it's it's a very big airplane for that type of airplane, if you will. And you, when you compare to what Huawei, so Huawei is the European launch customer, if you want, they're the first one, and they they blasted all over that they're very happy to have the three twenty one Neo. So I just found it a bit sad. I think uh, Alaska also has Embraers, by the way. They're not only Boeing, but they I do. mean, it's just. Uh, you know, you have a new aircraft, talk about it. I mean, I know you don't want it, but it's magnificent. I mean, anyway, we have a follower, Joe, a listener, Joe, at 907Joe on Twitter. Uh, First of all, he's very happy that we're uh, regularly on uh, live and not like we used to (laughs) in the end of last year. And he sent me an article that is pretty interesting. It's on uh, Bloomberg about uh, a lot of qualities to Alaska. I mean, I I know you have a heavy heart about that, but saying that although it's not probably that's me saying that although it's not probably the same kind of branding the same kind of you know funkiness and the same kind of sexiness mm-hmm. and the same kind of attention to customers it is a very lovable airline because a lot of customers compared to the experiences they have elsewhere are happy there's leg room there's uh, on-time departures and yeah, all they're there the title says it all why little alaska airline has the happiest customers in the sky so they it's not Virgin, clearly, but they're still doing something right. I think, you know, they're the Honda Accord of the airline world. So they're reliable, pretty comfortable, dull as anything. And that appeals to a certain type of person, a certain type of traveler. 
And those people are incredibly loyal. I think that's fine. I, you know, I, I, if it wasn't for this relationship that they have with Virgin America, I probably would uh, not hate them as much as I do. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I think I'd, I don't think I would hate them at all. But, you know, along with JetBlue and Southwest, they are at least passenger centric compared yeah. to the other majority of the airlines in the U.S. Which reminds me of uh, United Can't Catch a Break. Have you seen the the video of the passengers were shoved off? Shoved like, off. Uh, and then the same, was it the same day where that photo or the video of the fuel like hemorrhaging out of the wing right before takeoff <laughs> and no one knew? And so the passengers <laughs> alerted the flight deck crew and they would have taken off. Apparently, they claim they would have taken off if they had they not have alerted them. But I, I'm pretty sure that was on the same day. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Huh? Oh, <laughs> a little bit more of Paris before we're moving on. The other aircraft, I mean, two other, because we only talk about Boeing and Airbus. So, Embraer was there. Uh, the one thing that was really cool is that they had repainted an entire, I think it was an E195 E2 with an eagle livery. It was, it was, cool. it was super nice. And uh, the other is the MRJ, the Mitsubishi was there. And uh, it really looks really nice. And I'm really hoping they will get somewhere with that. I do too. They've been plagued with some problems that whole program, but hopefully, I really hope that they can get it together because it looks like a neat plane and they've had a lot of orders. I, I will say one thing here. Another rant, guys. I'm sorry. I'm I keep ranting on that show sometimes. Um, they have an issue in the US. So they have orders in the US, WestJets and some, you know, lessers and others, obviously. But they are too heavy. And I was like, what do you mean by being too heavy? Yeah. And I looked into it and I, I remember something called the scope close, which uh, I had to study again. It's basically agreements, unions agreements that divide the world between pilots and first officers that work for big airlines and others that work for regional airlines. So it's an artificial division because, of course, they want to protect the jobs, the higher pay of the big airlines uh, compared to the others that prevents so-called regional airlines to fly big planes. And basically, the MRJ-90, so the 90 version, which is the one that would fit the U.S. market the best, is still too heavy, which will require the entire rewriting of these clauses. But I, I only really found these clauses super... I was just going to say, that, anti, that anti feels like protectionism right there. I mean, come on. So basically... If you are a pilot of an MRJ, you're a lesser pilot than if you're a pilot for one of the big three. And uh, come on. I mean... That's ridiculous. Uh, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And I mean, if it was legitimately overweight, and I know that the 346 had this problem when it was delivered to to airlines like Cathay, the, the operating weight of the airplane was significantly higher than what they were sold on. And, wow. and, okay. and Cathay wow. was pissed about it. And that's why that airplane didn't last very long at Cathay. But this is different. The planes yeah. haven't been delivered against the spec that they were sold with. So this just smacks of protectionism. So United Francis limits the regional carriers they work with at 70 seats. So basically, MRG-90 is too big. So probably... If they were to buy, they would have to go for the MRG-70 version. So again, it's purely protectionism. I don't like it. Uh, I'm sure there are also good reasons to do it. And I'm sure some people will rant against me. But come on, guys. I mean, let's let's have the real competition yeah. here, not these kind of stupid clauses. Anyway, but good luck to Mitsubishi. I really want them to uh, succeed. Uh, the other thing, of course, Qatar. Al Baker was in Paris. And Al Baker repeated a line that he has been repeating since we last recorded, calling basically everybody else a bully. <laughs> so he's not... He's, at least he's very clear, right? Yeah, he's, he's, he doesn't mince his words. <laughs> 
uh, you, I think you even wanted to call the ICAO want, to yeah. intervene or something. And uh, we didn't mention last episode, I think we didn't go into that detail, but the path they are going through to go to Iran actually belongs to the Bahrain airspace. Who are That's... part of this consortium who have gone against the Qataris. It's getting more and more common. I honestly thought that by this point, what are we, two weeks since this has happened? This would have been resolved. Somebody would have broken. Somebody would have been contrite towards whoever needed contrition and this would have been done. But no, it's actually getting worse. I mean, right now we haven't heard a lot of stories about uh, Qatar uh, uh, flights being delayed or prices increases. No, I think they're actually going more look, competitive. Looking at, they're super competitive. Maybe huh. they. Are, I don't know if it's a promo that was done on purpose because, because of, of that. Yeah, but it's they're really super aggressive. I'm still considering flying them. By the way, guys, on June 24, so in two days, they will fly the first triple seven retrofitted with the Q suite from Doha to London. Oh. And I've looked at it. I'm pretty sure because they haven't, um, you know, Seed Guru and all the others don't have the map yet. But I'm pretty sure it's the 4 p.m. flight that leaves from London Heathrow to Doha Airport that is that 777 with the Queen Suite at the beginning. And probably June 24, 25th are the start date. I think every day it's actually priced slightly higher than the others, <laughs> <laughs> obviously. The reason is the 777 had the legacy product. So that's probably why they're retrofitting that one. But look, it's super fast. They announced it super recently. Yeah, they already did that really the first quickly, didn't they? I wonder yeah. where they're doing it, if they're doing Doing it in Doha, or if the plane they're being done at uh, a maintenance operator somewhere yeah, I around know, the world. But, uh, it looks really nice. They had, of course, again the seats uh, on display in Paris. I sadly don't think I will take them, also because of the issue we mentioned uh, last episode. The fact that I have status now granted on One World, and I'm thinking of going elsewhere. Yeah, <laughs> I told you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but this, this, this still looks appealing, man. I mean, oh, I the product is top drawer. I I, yeah. I I would love to try it. Uh, our friend at Ed Parsons on Twitter said the same. He was completely in agreement with you, Alex, saying that I will look elsewhere if I have that uh, status extended uh, forever. You, you will spend these two years trying something else. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. would too. And I'm, and I'm doing that. I'm looking at Emirates because I want to rebuild some stuff there. I mean, I'm still gold, but I need to renew it. And I haven't done a flight in six months. I'm looking at Arjana. I'm looking at Singapore. I've actually just booked a Singapore flight. I mean, look, you are clearly. And uh, and have you seen the video from Qatar? Yes, it's a, it's an in a long line of these. I wouldn't call them political, but they're certainly not product or or salesy videos. Uh, Royal Jordanian did the great one recently, and there have been a few others. I think Emirates have dabbled in this area as well. But it's a, I'm sure, a direct response to this whole embargo that's happening. But it's a very good video called No Borders, Only Horizons. And it's basically travel that makes us human. You know, there's no borders when we're, we're traveling to connect the world. So it's powerful stuff. Did um, EasyJet and BA make you human when we traveled with that recently? <laughs> <laughs> Not really, especially easy, Jeff. So, so, yeah, because we're experiencing something grand here on this show. From last episode with Alex was saying that he loves EasyJet and he's a big fan. We're going to the entire different direction. It's over. I was just, so, yeah, they just let me down on a recent trip to Madrid. Just just silly things like they, they, they send me like urgent text messages and emails and app notifications saying, your flight has changed. We're very sorry about this. 
Then they didn't tell you what the change was. <laughs> I go into the manage my booking thing and I'm looking and I can't see the chain. I'm like, what? I don't. <laughs> what is? Is it? Is it a different date? Am I being blind? So I, I, I messaged them on Twitter and they're like, oh, let me look at it for you. And then four hours later, like, yeah, I can't see it either. I don't, I don't see what's happening. There's no change here. <laughs> and then the flight over there was was a little bit delayed. And then we, the APU crapped out, so we had to be towed in at, at Madrid, and it was like 34 degrees on the ground and no air conditioning because the APU was off. And then into Madrid Airport, which always puts me in a bad mood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you were sending messages. I hate Madrid. I hate T1, right? Yeah, I was at T1, and it's like you you come off the off the plane, and there's this new section that they bolted onto T1, and then you go into where they bolted it on, and there's signs that basically it's really ambiguous what direction. It's like they're pranking you. It's like one way that you know you could go one of two ways. The signs that you can go one of two ways to get to immigration and the exit. One will actually get you there, and the other will take you to Mordor. You know, you know, and it's like you're you get to choose. And to that's today's game. Um, and then on the way back, the flight was delayed, you know, as, as it was on our Berlin flight. Their OTP is just so bad lately. And it was old, it was about a 14-year-old plane. It was tatty and falling apart. The seats are really high, so you can't actually look out the window. It's very odd. Like you have to scooch down to look out yeah, the yeah, window. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, um, I've experienced that. The, they were some of the worst cabin crew I've ever experienced. They were oh, wow. rude wow, and wow, in wow. at worst indifferent at best. And there was a guy, I was in row two, and the guy in front of me in row one, he was one of those aggressive typers, you know, <laughs> typing away on his laptop <laughs> as the seatbelt sign goes on, through approach, through landing and touchdown, oh, wow. all the way through the taxi ticket, sitting literally across from the flight attendants who said nothing. We're not paid to do that. Yeah, not, and they I were mean, just, they, you know, they, they, when they were going around doing the pre-flight uh, checks, the guy was like strolling up and down the cabin with his hands in his pockets and going, seat back upright, and you, sir, come on now, seat back up, like really patronizing. Uh, it was wow. just bad. And then I, I bitched on Twitter about it just to say, <laughs> hey, EasyJet, this was really disappointing. Nothing. Not even, uh, uh, we're sorry. Yeah. I, I've looked, when you told me that, I looked at their Twitter feed, they're replying oddly to some people, not to others. It's They don't have a consistent way of uh, reacting on Twitter. Maybe because they're always bashed on. I don't know. I don't but, know. But I mean, I, I, you're, I, you're right, because usually I do defend them and I do like them, but it's been not good lately. The last two trips I've had have been really bad. Did you uh, pay for any speedy boarding seats or how it was, was it? Did... I, I, I picked a seat close to the front of the cabin uh, because my... Is it more expensive? It's marginally more expensive. Because I remember that row one is and emergency exits are, but yes. I was not sure row, about row, row two. Row two is slightly more expensive, but you get okay. speedy boarding with it as well, yeah. which I like. But I don't know. It was just just not a great experience. And I'm, I'm flying Southwest next month, and I'm interested to compare the experiences. The experience, yeah. If you ever fly again, EasyJets, I'm sure you will, as I will. And if you fly from Luton, uh, which uh, I haven't done in forever. Actually, there was a description about Luton. I don't know who wrote it. Was it you? All the romance and glamour of a refugee internment camp. Uh, I, I had noted that quote in my notes, but I forgot who actually said that. Anyway, if you fly EasyJet... So I don't know how much your flight was, and I'm not going to ask you, but let's say a flight can be sometimes 50 quid, 75 quid, so no expensive. If you're ready to shell out 475 quid, 
you can have the entire private jet experience at Luton. So you'll have private terminal, you will be escorted to the plane, and then you'll be back at having EasyJet. I don't know who would actually pay 10 times the price Hell for no. the private jet experience at Luton and then get to EasyJet, but it's an offer that EasyJet does now at Luton Airport. Hell no. Is it crazy, no? It's totally crazy. Luton is a crap hole as it is. <laughs> you know, if you were, but, if you got to use the, uh, what is it called, the Windsor Suite at T5, that would be a very different story, but not nah, friggin' Luton, and then to get on EasyJet. Uh, but Luton is, the, I think, the Britain's biggest uh, private uh, jet yes, airport, Yes, that doesn't right? surprise me at all. I think because the landing fees are much... Which is why I think they have this private terminal, yeah. and maybe But it's uh, the same thing that the LA's deal. doing, right? LA, LAX yeah, is yeah. doing the same, something similar to me. This is a trend we're going to see. Yeah, we mentioned that. But still, I it's the disconnect between a flight that could be 50 quid and paying almost 500 yeah. to have that experience. If you were flying long haul in LA, yeah, well, I'd see that maybe. I mean, I wouldn't pay for it, but I'd see why you would do that, but not for EasyChat. No. I mean, that doesn't seem to make any sense really to me whatsoever. Uh, as for me, as you know, guys, I was uh, going to Sofia. I was not able to change that ticket that I was mentioning uh. at the end of the show. <laughs> no matter the status, that was a saver fair and well it's fine i mean i was very pleased with it so on the way there i used uh, frankfurt in the way back i used munich i know guys i'm tiring you by always talking about frankfurt versus munich but once more i have a proof of this big disconnect with these two airports so munich on the way back was efficient super fast it's probably my second favorite airport to do quick connections in europe after zurich Frankfurt, which I remind you for the upteenth time, uh, like to call themselves the uh, hub experts. <laughs> so I was flying from London outside of Schengen to Sofia outside of Schengen. So uh. my thinking is, wow, for once, being in Frankfurt, I will not have to go through passport control, yeah. security, this long, big-ass tunnel that goes from A to Z, etc. I'm like, and I have like an hour. And like, well, I should be fine, right? And my plane is pretty much on time. I land. And you know, on TripIt, it says uh, the gate you're landing to. So I see the gate I'm landing at, deplaning from is B something. And my next gate is also B something. I'm like, hallelujah. Oh, fine, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that's what I thought. I go out of the jet bridge. And something I don't do usually, there's this guide you know, that helps customers finding their way. The flight to Sofia, it says B something. Two floors up. I'm like, okay, two floors up. I go two floors up, and then I see a sign, B1 to 12, I can't remember, on the right, and the rest of the Bs on the left. I was on the rest of the Bs. Man, it took me 50 minutes no way. to go to this. I'm not kidding. And, you know, I'm tall. I am a fast walker. I had to go through bizarre layouts of the airports and other and left and right and left and right. And I was like, where am I going? Then there's a train. I don't understand. I'm still at B, but there's a train connecting for 10 minutes between two parts of B. And I'm going to this other B. And I'm, again, like in very strange, you know, it looks like the airport was retrofitted to adapt for Schengen. <laughs> but that was a long time ago. And you're still going, you know, there are cords and you seemingly pass next to emergency exits. It doesn't make any sense. And you walk and you walk and you walk and you walk. And then security. I'm like, no. Come on. So, That's... of course, I've status. I'm lucky. I'm going through that fast track line. And the fast track line leads you directly to, you know, these machines where you have to put your hands up. And I see that there's like at least five strollers waiting. I'm like, no way. I'm not going to be a bully and pass in front of everybody. So I cut through the normal line. I go through a normal uh, x-ray machine. 
my flight was actually boarding at the oh, time of wow. the security. That's always that's yeah. Stressful. So I was, you know, the app was telling me uh, it's, it's ready for boarding. I'm like, my God, it was just one guy in front of me. The guy had already put all these trays. Of course, I will admit it. I was a bit, of course, stressed out. Yeah. And I immediately take the next tray and I simply put it next to it. And the security tells me, no, you have to wait for your turn. Uh, first says that in German, that says that again in English. And I, and I snapped. I shouldn't have. Of course, arguing with security is never a good idea. <laughs> so that, made, that delayed me for five minutes before I decided that I was smarter than this and basically, you know, toned everything down and, you know, made him smile and left. But still, I had to go through a very slow security process. Yeah, and then yeah, I'm yeah. working again for 15 other minutes. I was the last person to board a bus. So it's insane. I, I don't understand the layout of that airport. I will try to avoid it from now on, uh, at least for connecting. It doesn't uh, yeah, make sense. Especially since they, they talk so much, like you said, about it being the place to connect through. And it's just, you know, it's not. You have to... You know, it's not like Helsinki where, you know, 35, 40 minutes is doable. You need, I mean, if it was less than two hours, I would feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Anyway, better experience at Sofia that I had last year. I think I had mentioned that in the show last year. This time, super fast, sufficient. The lounge is crap. Our friend Max Gervitz told me that the better lounge is the one accessible by our priority pass. And I just got my priority pass Today. I've been using so, mine a lot more recently. It's, it's, it's useful to have in your back pocket. Uh, before we go to your flight, uh, just you had mentioned you did the 350 with Finnair. Yes. Uh, did you learn that because of the bad finish of the seats, they will have to remove and rebuild all the seats? I guess that's been a, a problem with a lot of people that have the Zodiac. Zodiac seat. I know Cathay have had the same problem as well. So I crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Those those guys are are not making any friends. No, they're not. So, BA, your other flight experience, you had to go quickly to the US. So that was a very quick back and forth, but very long. Yeah. So how was that? I was just there for the weekend for, for some family reasons. But uh, yeah, I, I was in premium economy and I fl was flying to San Jose. And I got to the check-in at because I wanted to see if there were any upgrades available. So I went to the first wing, which we've talked about in the past is, is really great. And I said to the person, oh, you know, I'm checked in, but I was just wondering if there are any upgrades available from World Traveler Plus to business class. And she looked and there were, and they were crazy expensive, totally not worth it. So I said, oh, okay. Then she said, but there's a seat in World Traveler Plus with a free seat next to it. Uh, would you, nice. would you, and it's a window seat, you know, would you, would you like me to move there? And I said, uh, yeah. Can I have a look at the seat, ma'am? She showed me the screen. I said, that would be great. But can you confirm to me that there's nothing wrong with the seat? Like, you know, yeah. it doesn't recline because there's a wall behind it or there's it's missing a window or anything like that. And she says, oh, no, 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 of course. It's, it's a normal seat. So she changes my seat. They Then they spent like 15 minutes trying to figure out how to print my boarding pass, which oh my was God. bizarre. You'd think you'd have the, the, the most experienced people on first class check-in. Perhaps it's due to a new, you know, new system or teething issues with that or whatever. It happens. It wasn't the end of the world. But I just had this weird feeling. As I finished <laughs> through security and I was walking into the lounge, I pulled up Seat Guru on my phone. And of course... It's missing a window and doesn't recline. <laughs> and I was so pissed. I thought, A, you should know that your product. B, what if someone takes the seat that I did have, which was which was great? I immediately go to the customer service desk within the lounge there. The guy there was really he like he rolled his eyes to the back of his head and was like, <laughs> I'm really sorry. That's embarrassing for us. Uh, look, there's a seat here. 
uh, that's a window seat and I'll block the seat next to it because we've really nice. messed you around. Is there anything else I can do? Really nice resolution to that problem. Uh, so, but I was like, ugh, that's you guys. And it was like, there were three people trying to check me in. It was like watching, uh, you know, the three stooges try and check me in. But I, I have to say the Dreamliner, I've been on it a, a handful of times now. That plane is just amazing. I love it. It's like I said earlier, it's rock and roll. I, I might have, when I was saying earlier that Airbus was saying that the 350 is better, uh, it's, the 350 is like, you know, again, and I repeat what I said, I think last year, it's like a big Mercedes. Yeah. It's super comfy. It's, but the 787 is a Camaro. It's, it's a Mustang. It's such it's a great, like, it's so, it was, I it's love it. Quiet. And we were lucky because it was a daytime flight which, you know, it's a long 10-hour daytime flight, but it was quiet and smooth and comfortable and you feel good on the plane. And they've got, obviously, those amazing windows that you can just see forever. I just, I love that airplane. I love flying into San Jose. I was, again, off the plane and on the tarmac within about three and a half minutes. That's awesome. It's so good. We're flying there. The whole family's flying there two weeks today as well so that that's ba as well ba as well on the dreamliner on a seventy seven eight seven nine. uh so it's yeah just a, i love that airplane love it uh, have you, well how was your security situation on the way back when tsa was good oh dude <laughs> i forgot to tell you about this so i flew out of san francisco uh just just it just worked out better that way for a lot of uh, logistical reasons so i flew in into san jose I flew out of san francisco on ba they had shut down something at at security which actually at san francisco in the international terminal for an american airport usually is pretty good but the queue was unusually long for those of you that know san francisco international airport well it was past the alaska airlines check-in desks for those of you that know your jaw will have just hit the floor it was like way past that and i had a priority thing so i'm looking around and they're like it was closed because they were using the the canine dogs to go up and down the security line and smell everybody's bag for like an hour and so i went up to the lady that was checking her passports and i said is there a priority line without even looking at me without even acknowledging me she just barked and said no get to the back of the line <laughs> and i was like my god wow and to san francisco airport's credit because they're not tsa or they're sort of this hybrid company. They got through it really quickly. But here's a weird thing. When I got to the belt, I did not have to take my liquids out of my bag. I did not have to take my laptop out of my bag. I did not have yeah. to take my belt off. This is what Glucode was telling us, that there was only sniffing dogs and that's pretty much it. Yeah, there was nothing. I And and the poor TSA woman who was on the belt, people were like, well, I need to take my laptop out. No, you don't. Okay, I need to take my liquids out. You don't need to take anything out. Just Go into that machine. That was the first time I've ever experienced that. It wasn't entirely reassuring, I must admit. Is it security theater reassured because we've been used to it? Or is it actually maybe as good with that machine? I would love kind of to know. I, don't. I would love yeah, to know the difference. Is there a new x-ray machine? Why don't I have to take out my liquids? Why don't I have to take my laptop out? So that was an interesting experience. I did get to go into the Cathay Lounge at, at San Francisco, That's which is fun. great because it was right after a Cathay flight. So the whole thing was open. Usually when it's the later yeah. BA flight, only half of it's open because all of the Cathay flights have gone and they're cleaning it. But the BA lounge at San Francisco is always because everybody and their grandmother has status on BA is rammed, <laughs> and it was it was forty degrees in the in California that day, so it was hot. Straight to the beautiful airy Cathay Lounge and on, and then on to 
A 747 for the ride home. Ah, uh, was it not Mark? You know, I no, it wasn't Mark. I listen. I always listen very carefully when I'm uh, when I'm on a 747 on BA just to see if uh, our good friend uh, Mark is is uh, on the flight deck. But no, but you know, it must be psychological. But I'm always so relaxed and so comfortable. I sleep better on that airplane yeah. than I do on any other airplane. It's loud. It was old. It was tatty. Tired, but, but as it was I told beautiful. you, uh, as I told you the other day, I think we share something. We were in those planes as babies in cots, yeah, uh, because I know my parents told me, and we're just used to the noise and used to that kind of shaking things, and we like that. It reminds us we were babies and we're sleeping like babies, there, right? Yeah, there was something so wonderful about it. I, I slept so well, premium economy again on BA, and it was fine. It was curt, not curt, that's not fair. It was um, systematic, Try. slightly robotic, but fine. Okay, well, good. As long as it's fine, you know. I've uh, I've seen the premium economy when I was doing Ike Horizon, and it looks good, honestly. They're the new seats, one on the uh, 787 is very good. This one was just the recovered seats from about 17 years ago on the on the on the 747. So, but it was fine. It was fine. I was in a bulkhead. I had lots of room, so no, that's fine. Mark, the gods will make it that one day we one will day be in the same flights. <laughs> one day it will actually happen. Because uh, they still have a crazy amount of 747s left. Thank God they are keeping them around for a little while on BA because they're retrofitting them, new screens and whatever. And probably there are rumors about a new uh, business class seat yeah. coming in two, three years. So they maybe like, they will be still retrofitted. They have 40 yeah. of them and they've got no plans to retire them. Good, soon, good, so, good. Yeah. That's good. That's a reason to love BA. Thank you, BA. Yeah. Thank God you guys exist. Uh, I'm going to go back to your experience at, at San Francisco in, in a minute. But since you were uh, talking about the TSA security, I just want to mention that I've seen something uh, news pretty interesting that the TSA is trialing and will trial a full boarding from the beginning of the airport with fingerprints. So you'll have your fingerprints and everything will be set. Another way of doing biometrics. So to avoid uh, too many displays of, uh, can I see your boarding yeah. pass? Can I see your passport? That's a good idea. I would I love think, to know yeah, what too. Kendall from Flyer Rights thinks about this because she did, again, bring up a really interesting point about privacy and, and data with regard to beacons. But, you know, as you said, this is, you know, San Francisco is, the security is done by this company called Covenant. So essentially that company could have your fingerprint data and they're, they're a private company. So some interesting things to consider there. Uh, since you just mentioned beacons, uh, a quick shout out to Steve Glenfield at Ethro. They are launching these beacons we've been talking about in one week with Locus Lab. So you guys will be able to trial these beacons if you download oh. the Ethro app. Well, you had a you had this seat issue, uh, and I was I spent a, yesterday, and you know that whilst you were uh, sending updates uh, for for your book, I spent the day trying to uh, book two flights that will happen in July. <laughs> One is to go to Bangkok, and I wanted to have a layover in a long layover in Singapore, and the other one is to Manila. You know what? If I were to do it all over again, I would just build a GDS. I mean, as soon as you try what we do, these complex routings where you want long stopovers, when you want like multiple airlines sometimes, everything fails. I must have tried OTAs, so online travel agents, so many yesterday, Cheap or Air, Momondo, uh, of course, Skyscanner, the, the big ones, but names I'd never have heard about, email flights and DUI flights or something. And I've tried so many and each and every one of them 
were surfacing different options that didn't even exist, and for that's instance. that's what I don't understand. Where are they getting the inventory where they can all be so different? Yeah, so maybe it's different providers of GDS, as you say, Marius, etc. But I think is that some of these guys, they botch together routes. So, for instance, if you go into, let's take the example of Singapore. So, I'm going from London to Singapore, staying in Singapore for one night. Then I'm going to Singapore to Bangkok. And then the return is Bangkok, Singapore, London in a row, actually. That is impossible to make it happen on Singapore's website, which, by the way, in terms of UI is... <laughs> and then I go look for it on Google Flights, on Matrix, and all that stuff. Even on Matrix, that one requires me to do a multi-city when I specifically say I'm flying on that date to Singapore and the next date from Singapore to Bangkok. Right. Whereas some of these OTAs, simply by choosing Singapore Airlines, because by definition, you'll have a stopover, will surface some of those flights, telling you, oh, you have a 22 hours layover. I like that. But again, every time I was redoing the search, because I was trying to find good prices and good timings that I needed, every time the results were different. It was insane. That is infuriating. And I, there, there isn't anybody... Even ITA Matrix, as you said, that gives you the power tools to be able to piece together an itinerary on a single itinerary, even with those big oh, stopovers. Oh. And I've done some pretty crazy things on Matrix. And Matrix, for example, displaying me a price of uh, 1000 let's say. And then you try to replicate a route elsewhere, and it's 5000 And you're like, my God, how? Yeah. And it's impossible to, re so, to do that. Yeah, it, it is infuriating. Even Skyscanner sometimes. It's not Skyscanner's fault, because Skyscanner crawls the results from other websites. Mm -hmm. Because Skyscanner is really, and I want to give a shout out to them, is really well done in terms of the amenities you get into they tell you the seating, it's a 333, 232, etc. They give you Wi-Fi, no Wi-Fi, USB, no USB. They give you a lot of information yeah. about your plane. So it's really well done. And it, it's a good meta search tool. But then you find again a thousand, you press on the button, you know, to be linked to the website that actually uh, where you can buy the flight and the price is double <sighs> in the seconds you've actually pressed the button. And you know what? For the first time, so I will give a big shout out to Sam at TravelUp. TravelUp is one of these OTAs that I had never heard about before yesterday, basically. And I tried booking a flight. I found the perfect flight I wanted. And I booked. And as my credit card was processing, it stops and says, the GS was uh, not up to date. We cannot offer you that price. And I'm like, I'm crying out loud. Ugh. But he calls me. He leaves me a, a voicemail because obviously he already had my details since I was paying. And he says, I'm going to try to find you that ticket. And at first I was like, yeah, right. He's going to find me a ticket five times the price and he's not going to do it. He called Singapore Airlines. We did everything by email between him and, and me. And he actually sold me, for once, a travel agent, because we are always to be wary of using travel agents, yeah. found me the perfect flight with the perfect That's price. Amazing. Right? That I is amazing. That is amazing. I was so happy. So it was yeah, travel, was so travel up. That's amazing. a British-based uh, company. Yeah. And, and I told him, I said, you know what? Next time I have complicated flights like this, and that might happen for my Manila flight, which I will do today after recording this show, I will simply give you the route and try to bolt it for me and quote me you know he fought for me he even got me the bulkhead seats i wanted on singapore right so i mean really happy for once to use a, a travel agent and i have the hand of the flight on manage my booking on singapore airlines so shout out that's to those, uh, really to really cool uh, you know, Emirates now offers flights from Cathay, for instance. It's crazy. I didn't know you that. Can, yeah, if you do like, if you want to go for, let's say, the, the route I was looking for is to do uh, London, Hong Kong, obviously via Dubai, obviously, because it's Emirates, and then Manila. Well, the last leg is offered on uh, Cathay or Cathay Dragon. Ah. 
That's cool, huh? That is cool. So that's actually what I'm looking to do. Uh, I'll tell you more about that in the next episode because we already talked a lot. But there are still some more news to come. Especially, uh, you sent me this uh, wonderful picture of you <laughs> with a burger in hand when you were in the U.S. at the airport. It was my favorite, my happy place, I think I referred to it as, <laughs> uh, with one of my favorite things in the world. So I, I make a point of getting to San Francisco airport a little earlier, especially on a nice day. Like it was absolutely stunning on Sunday when I flew home and I went to In-N-Out Burger. There's an In-N-Out Burger, like five minutes drive, if that, three minutes drive from the airport. Grab my uh, my double-double animal style and I went to the, uh, to the Bayshore Park. If you know San Francisco airport or San Francisco in general, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But it's this wonderful public pathway and park area that runs along uh, the, the bay, at the edge of the bay, right uh -huh. up to the edge of the tens, the runways, right and left. And so you can sit there in the shade or in the sun and just watch the planes take off and land all day. And I had my burger. I had the planes. It was a beautiful day. So I, that's, I was, I was having tell, my Tell us about the, the, the family because I love that story. So there was this family that arrived about 10 minutes after I did, uh, you know, teenager, the parents, and then this maybe three or four year old. And they were just so, all of them were so excited just to be there. And every takeoff, it was like, wow, look at that one. That's so oh, cool. I love that. And it was genuine joy, you know, which is so rare these days. Yeah. And they were about to leave. And I said, do you guys have five more minutes? And they're like, yeah, why? I'm like, and I could, I was looking at Plane Finder just to see if anything interesting was coming in. And the A, the Air France A380 was on final. I said, J just stick uh -huh. around for like five minutes tops. I promise you that it will be worth it. And this thing comes barely beautiful, bright white airplane. Their jaws just hit the floor. I don't think they'd ever seen a 380 before. And wow. they were just like, look at that. Like, that's the biggest passenger airplane in the world. I'm like, oh my God. And then it was perfect because then the Emirates one pulled out from the, was it Emirates or Asiana or somebody that, that runs a 380 to San Francisco pulled out from the gate and taxied right past them as well. So they were just blown away it's it's lovely it was lovely to see it made my day oh that's amazing i love this kind of story so to your burger remember guys you talked about the burger last week two things into that story first when we talked about level uh yeah. it's something that we have to be better at we sometimes often because especially these days where we create the shows between two flights basically we run a lot from memory mm -hmm. and then we don't always acknowledge the the publications and the authors of the article. So Loyalty Lobby, at Loyalty Lobby on Twitter, are behind the review of Level. It's a great They've site. actually come up with a review of the premium economy. They basically say, how sad is it that we have to pay premium economy for what we used to have as economy yeah. 10 years ago? Well, that's the truth. It doesn't look like an amazing product. Honestly, the premium economy on, uh, on Norwegian looks much, much better. In my opinion, I've only flown one and not the other. Uh, so big kudos to Loyalty Lobby. The thing, though, related to burgers <laughs> he sends me on twitter the picture like of a lot of buns on the seat like at least i think 12 and i'm like uh what's the context and he tells me stranded at pyongyang airport pyongyang airport the air courier staff left these 12 burgers on the seats. what <laughs> i mean stranded for 12 hours and air courier staff left bags of burgers before leaving 
Excellent pairing with cheap sparkling wine. <laughs> we need to invite you because I want to know about being stranded at Pyongyang Airport and getting burgers, these very famous stale burgers yeah. that Ruby talks about, at Pyongyang left by the staff and having sparkling wine at FNJ, which is the name of the, the airport. I mean, what That's crazy, so amazing. crazy, crazy story. And uh, I think Eric, uh, as Benito told us, guys, have you never done burgers at Cathay? <laughs> I, you know what? When I fly on Cathay, I must always have the Asian option because it's so good. Don't recall seeing it on the menu, but my eyes immediately gravitate towards whatever Asian deliciousness they have. So I... I I don't know. No, I, I don't. I haven't had it on Cathay. No. So now to finish the show before we go to the airport. Never mind if it's a bit long. A little bit of fun because at Paris Air Show, um, Skytrax announced the airline awards. So basically, what the oh, best yeah. airlines in the world? A bit of uh, you know nice news for Qatar, right? Yeah, it was sort of uh, the bittersweet end to what must have been a difficult month for them. They were they were the Skytrax best airline in the world for 2017. Yeah. I still haven't flown on them. <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, and now, of course, you're hesitating because will you, were you not trying? You were going to a trip, I think, in the fall and you might have taken them. Is that still on the cards? Probably. <laughs> Probably. You don't know yet. I, I don't know. Of I've got so many, so many pending trips at the moment, but it was an interesting... The Skytracks are quite a controversial organization within our industry, but I actually, right. of all of the awards that seem to have come out in the last six weeks this is the one i put the most weight into or yeah. on so number two singapore airlines haha i'm flying them soon number three ana thank god this is really a good airline and it needs to be recognized more and more number four emirates it went down from last yeah year. they were number one last year and number five cafe yeah. haha here you go i can finally say that i've flown it and not like you, you fly it every uh three weeks <laughs> uh number six uh, Eva Air. It was one of my options to go to Bangkok. They have actually a direct from London to Bangkok, strangely, uh, because they're not Bangkok-based. Uh, I really want to try it. They have very good reviews in number six here. Number seven, Lufthansa. I will say I agree about the short haul. I'm not sure about the long haul mm. yet. Uh, number eight, Etihad. Don't you think it's interesting that, that Lufthansa is higher than Etihad? Yeah, well, now they're one company. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. But no, no, but yeah, yeah. I, I, you know what? I, I think that probably what happens with Etihad, and I'm not uh, absolutely certain, is that the premium product is completely mind-blowing but i'm not sure about the experience in economy maybe that actually draws them down maybe that's it i don't have the insight into how they make the rankings but um, a lot of people who've flown with them in economy say it's lesser than qatar and emirates so maybe that's it I, i'm not huh. sure to be honest uh hainan i want to try yeah i once. do too they've there are a lot of people have been talking about them and the number 10 airline garuda that the yeah, garuda but you were telling me that you remember we had we had this discussion i think it was for a flight a month ago and i was telling you alex what do you think about about Garuda, I want to try them. You're like, ah. I think you know the, the generally with Indonesian aviation, we've there's safety concerns here, but a lot of people that I've spoken to have been raving about Garuda, especially their premium products. I think they must be trying really, really hard to shake off that that reputation. Because yep. you're right, I don't, you know, up until very recently, I wouldn't have even given them a second look. For the second year in a row, I think they have the world best cabin staff. Garuda. Wow. So it makes such it a difference. Something. It really does. Yeah. Eva Air as the world's cleanest airplanes cabins. That's a big thing too. Uh, yep. Thai Airways have the world's best airline economy class. So that's good to know, actually, because know. for long haul, especially. Bangkok Airways, the best regional airline. Ooh. Lufthansa, best airline in Europe. Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Europe. I can, I mean, who else is it going to be? I can see it, honestly. I can see it. They have a very consistent and solid product, yeah. to be honest. Who else right? is so, it going to be? Uh, 
And uh, the Singapore Airline business class seat was voted the world's best by customers. I'm going to have the new one, I think. Yeah, I'm on very the way interested back from, to see how you find it. I'm still hesitating because there's room on the left side and the right side. There's no more bulkhead on the way back. And you know, it's this awkward seat when you have to be angled when you want to sleep. Uh, yes. And I'm wondering which angle do I sleep the best? <laughs> <laughs> the world's best low-cost airline, AirAsia, and number two, Norwegian. Well, I can believe both of those. JetBlue, then EasyJet. Virgin America is number five, Alex. Yeah, fair enough. That's, that's, that. some, that's some healthy competition right there. Best long-haul low-cost airline, Norwegian 1, Jetstar 2, AirAsia X3, Scoot 4. There's not a lot, actually. No, there aren't that many <laughs> yet. The best low-cost airline premium cabin, since we just mentioned that AirAsia X is one and Norwegian is second. So see, we should try AirAsia X. I think I'm meeting Tony Fernandez from AirAsia in uh, Seoul oh, in cool. two weeks. So who has for you the world's best first-class product? Uh, well, I've only tried, in, well, in recent memory, I've only tried Cathay and BA. And Cathay was was very, very good. But it was interesting seeing our friend Kobus post the pictures. And obviously, you've experienced this as well of the Emirates first class. It just looks amazing. What do you think won? Uh, based on what I know, I would say Emirates. Well, close. Etihad is first. It was Emirates interesting that they slipped so far down and that they have the best first yeah. class. Lufthansa. Lufthansa is actually a lot of people talk uh, rave about Lufthansa. Uh, Air France is number four. Singapore is number five. A&A number six. And Cathay is number seven. So you see, you've flown into seventh best. And I think, don't think uh, British Airways is number 19th. Yeah, BA, not, BA would not have been pleased with these. The best first class airline lounge, uh, I'm not surprised, though I would argue that now that I've seen the pier, I would have put Cathay really high, but Cathay is only number six. What do you think is number That's one? That's bizarre. Qatar with the new lounge yeah, in Doha? It's got to be, too. isn't it? <laughs> Clearly. Lufthansa is number two. I'm sure that's because of their first class terminal in, in Frankfurt, yeah. actually. Yeah. So who won the best... Uh, Business class seat. We've done more than than just two or three, like on first. Though, what was your best business class experience? I mean, Cathay must be the best I had. Cathay is definitely up. I like the way that the Emirates seat is laid out. I just it's yeah. it's good, and I think where Cathay on the three eighty on the three eighty, yeah. yeah. Uh, where Cathay will beat them every time is on service, and probably most of the time beat them on food as well. Well, uh, Qatar Airways is number one, uh, which. I understand if you're talking about Q Suite and the Dreamliner, but some of the older products for me are not there. Yeah. A&A is number two, which I've done once, and it's 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 solid. I don't know if I would have put it number two. Singapore number three, where there's these massive seats they have. Etihad four, Lufthansa five, Turkish six. I don't agree because it's there's no privacy, really. Seven, Garuda. At eighth, Cathay Pacific. Emirates is ninth. So you see, Cathay Pacific is better than Emirates. Wow. But you know what? Being slightly taller than you, I like Emirates. I like the layout. I'm not entirely sure about the length. I'm 6'4", and when I am fully lie flat on the 380, I didn't have that feeling on on Cathay at all, which is probably why I loved it so much. Yeah, so since people tell us we never talk about economy, <laughs> we just said that the world's best economy class uh, was Thai Airways, followed by Qatar uh, 3 uh, Asiana. Uh, in terms of seats, though, interestingly, and I think you've done it, Japan Airlines. Yes, very good. Really comfortable seat. I just loved my experience with them. I love JAL. I love ANA. I think Japan is just spoiled when it comes to airlines. They've got two really <laughs> amazing uh, kind of, tier one carriers, and then loads of great little carriers as well. 
Yeah, I think ANA was also world's best airport service number sixth and the fourth best airline staff in Asia. But yeah, best economy class, Japan Airlines, second, Asiana, and third, Thai. So I've only flown uh, ANA in coach. Uh, and I've flown, of course, Jolly in coach, but that was domestic and a long time ago. So I wouldn't be able to judge that uh, uh, either. Anyway, there's 25 billion awards there. Yeah, they do uh, like to, to, to have a category for everything. The world's best alliance, I so will finish with that one. First, Star, second, Wild World, and three, Sky Team. This is the order I would have done. Yeah, I, that's I, I, pretty I, much I, what they're always in every single year. <laughs> I know we're running late on this show, but since we probably won't record for two and a half weeks, maybe even three, uh, as Alex is going uh, for the summer in California, and I have a lot of travel, it's still a little bit longer. Peter Johnson mentioned an article on the layovers uh, facebook page of facebook.com slash layovers.2 about uh, the rankings that are done uh, by air help you know air help yeah. is uh, compensation it's interesting because what they do they gather customer you know reviews but they also take into account delays the on-time arrival etc and the easiness, I guess, of being compensated in case you have an issue. All uh, valuable just, data. In terms of airports, Singapore, Shanghai is by far number one. Number two is Munich. Number three is Hong Kong. So nothing really surprising no. there, right? For the airlines, uh, Singapore Airlines, number one. Etihad, number two. Qatar, number three. Austrian, number four. Oh, Air Transat. Oh, yeah, five. the Canadian uh, outfit. Yeah. And then the number six, Air Dolomiti, which is oh, kind of yeah. a subsidiary for Lufthansa. I was uh, I was surprised by that one. Not that I, I I didn't like them, but it's interesting to see how different the scores uh, could be. The, the funny bit though is that if you look at the worst, the worst airports, you'll have. LA, uh, our friend at LA Flyer would not like that, I guess, for delays. I don't know about delays. Uh -huh. Yeah, quite possibly. I just think I'm going there in uh, in about three weeks, so I will uh, let you know how more, I get on. More time for a, more, more time for a burger, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the three airports uh, for London is also there. Ether are considered also amongst the worst, I think. Uh, that's, <clears throat> I mean, we know that, but still, uh, of course, the ones in New York as well, etc., yeah. etc. Oh, et yeah. yeah, we we know that. And EasyJet and Ryanair are getting a bad rep if you look at the rankings. Yeah, especially in terms of on, yeah on time. Yeah, the frustrating airline. Nah. Okay, let's finish with one bit of uh, fun news before moving to the airport. That big, fat, crazy aircraft. Oh, the scaled composite strato launch. What? 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 Paul is this? Allen, who is uh, among many other things co-founder of Microsoft with Bill Gates, uh, is a partner in the scaled composites product. And scaled composites, Burt Rattan's company that has given us so many incredible airplanes, not to mention Spaceship One. They've built this gigantic gigantic airplane that is a uh, air launch yeah, <laughs> uh, air launch platform so that you can do uh, you can put rockets into space it's an airplane essentially and it is absolutely huge <laughs> 200,000 pounds just of and it's composite so it's it's like uh, it's you know like the 787 and the A350 and if you put it on an American football field, the wingtips would extend beyond the goalpost by 15 feet on each side. <laughs> long ways, long ways on an American football field. This is a monstrous airplane. They um, bought two old United Airlines 747s, basically to just cannibalize them. And they took the engine. So oh, it's got six 747-400 engines. It has 
the cockpit of a 747 split across these two pylons. Just, you have to go and look at the pictures of this. It hasn't flown yet. They pulled it out of the uh, the hangar on the 31st Younger. of May. And I don't think it's supposed to fly for at least another year and a half. But monstrous airplane. It's just extraordinary. You know that thing that Virgin Galactic has done? It looks like they've split in half the thing. Yeah. Put another layer of a wing part in the middle and bolted like... Major, like, of course, 747 engines. It looks like a monster. I mean, it's like a drag, you know, what you see on TV in the US is drag thing, whatever, you know, for cars. Yeah, it looks crazy. like something that Hayao Miyazaki would come up with. You know, it's just, <laughs> Very good one. it's just the most extraordinary looking thing. And, on, you know, it, in the space between the two fuselages will be whatever they're launching into space, I presume. It's not a commercial aircraft per definition, though. Guys, Paul Allen, you shared a very good first name with me. If you want to invite us to just a test flight without having to, anything there, just we would yeah, be we, very we, we'll, happy. We'll find to, time in our schedule. Actually, both Alex and me will probably fall asleep because since it's the same engine instead of 747, yeah. as we said earlier. <laughs> it's like the equivalent <laughs> of a lullaby. <laughs> this is perfect. So, Kansai Airport, uh, uh, you said you've never been, but you will be going, going in October. Soon. Yeah. It's a strange airport for many reasons. Uh, it's located next to uh, Osaka, very close as well to Kobe, which is uh, there's this bay, and yeah. one city is opposite the, the other. So I say strange because <laughs> they wanted to have another big airport in the region. At first, they proposed it to Kobe, and Kobe said no, they refused the plan. Uh, if you remember what I said about uh, Narita when we talked about that in episode 50, because of all the issues that Narita had, they didn't want to go into any other problem with lands and owners so they built the airport on the sea yeah. so it's a full island that was built on the sea uh it's uh south of uh, osaka on the other side of the bay of kobe so they started i think uh end of the 80s they built uh, of course a seawall etc it was one of the most the biggest project that it was ever undertaken yeah. because it's really a massive amount of uh, gravel, etc. they had to build. In the 90s, they actually commenced the, the building of the, the airport itself for the first runway. Uh, very quickly, they realized that the island was sinking. Yeah, they, they'd allowed for a little <laughs> bit of sinking, hadn't they? But then with the, you know, over so the they, life of it. Yeah, they thought it would sink overall by almost six meters. So that's almost 20 feet. But in 99, at the end of the 90s, he already had sunk by more than eight meters. So almost 27 <laughs> feet. <laughs> it's not good news. That's it keeps so sinking. Bad. Of course, since then, they've built a second runway and they've augmented. They have a Terminal 2, which Terminal 2 is for low cost. The main terminal we'll talk about is Terminal 1. The other reason I see it strange is that Kobe said, so we don't want the airport. But then... They built their own. Of course. So you have one island on one side of the bay, which is as big fat Kansai KIX. And on the other side, you have another island, which was built by Kobe, which mostly caters to domestic flights, which has a few international charters, I think, or could accommodate them. So it doesn't make any economic sense whatsoever to have both on no. each other. And, and third thing, you still have Itami. So the Osaka International Airport, because again, I'm talking about Kansai International Airport, which is the airport of the region. You have a 
Osaka International Airport, which is the airport of the city. So you have three airports that are three international, and basically they're between 40 and 50 kilometers to each other. It doesn't make sense whatsoever. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. The the, the, the Kansai one is, of course, the most expensive because of what I said. Also, it has, I think, along with Narita, the world's most expensive landing fees because I guess they have to make it sure that it doesn't sink. So they have to keep putting gravel or something. As an airport, as a as a as a terminal, Terminal One. Uh, I've never been to Terminal Two. Terminal One is actually pretty beautiful. It was built by uh, Ren, uh, Renzo Piano, the famous architect. Mm. It's you know like Japanese airports can be. I know it's a cliche, but they can be very functional, a bit dry sometimes. As in you know the colors that are chosen, they're not like either in your face like uh, some airports in the Middle East or airy with a lot of lights. Some airports in Scandinavia, for instance, it's it's very functional. But but it's really nice. It's pretty easy to navigate. It's very big. It feels that because it hasn't reached capacity, it feels it's too big for what it ah, is. So, which cavernous. is nice actually. The dream of this airport, Kansai, was to say, look, Narita being so far out of Tokyo, if we build this airport there and then we build a bullet train to Tokyo, it'd be actually faster to land in Osaka, take the bullet train and arrive in Tokyo, especially Yokohama or the western part of Tokyo. It hasn't really been there yet, actually, but Emirates at some point was offering flights from uh, wherever to uh, KIX, and then they would partner with uh, either a flu, I think once it was Starflyer, I love that airline, and uh, probably the other was it was ANA or, or JAL, I don't remember. The advantage was for me back then, there was an almost guarantee to be upgraded because it was just, just these flights had started when I started taking them, when I was going to Japan for work, and then I was almost guaranteed to be upgraded every single nice. time. That's not the case anymore. But the other time I flew it from there was with ANA, and I was in uh, business class. And this is one of these airports. Of course, it's ANA, so it's the local uh, airline. But you go from specific dedicated desk to the lounge to the gate in one straight line. And everything is perfect. That's the way it should be. It was perfect. The sets of escalators that go to the lounge and then sets of escalators down and you are at the gate. That's such a rare thing that we're celebrating. It should be so obvious. Yeah. It should be so, uh, you know, standard. And just for that, I adored, obviously, that airport. This is also the airport where I was flying with Emirates. And I think I told the story last year or maybe even two years ago. Our podcast is getting old. Where, it really is. Where there was massive thunderstorms, massive rain in Tokyo, Haneda. And my flight was Haneda, Osaka to grab Emirates. My flight in Tokyo was two hours late, but it was on an EK ticket. It was since it was the, the trick I was doing. The guys in Osaka, the flight waited for me. Wow. 45 minutes. I mean, of course, the flight was full. Of course, they might have thought we'll make up the time in flight. But still, you know what? That day, this is what, guys, sometimes I talk a lot about Emirates. That day, they got me loyal. Yeah. Because it's I was things like, like that. Holy cow. I even met the, the the pilot and the first officer on that flight. They were they were super super nice. Uh, so yeah, you should consider it if you're going to Japan because sometimes flights can be less expensive than going to Tokyo. Actually, Kyoto is closer 
So you could do, most people do, they go to Narita, sometimes now Haneda, which is open to international flights. They do a bit of Tokyo, they take the Shinkansen, they go to Kyoto, and then they come back. You could do actually do the reverse. Start yeah. in Osaka, is a very nice city. Very sensible. Do Kyoto, go to Tokyo, and go back. You might actually save money from your flights by flying to KIX. And it's actually a, a very decent airport to travel into. I just mentioned, and I'll finish with that, the bullet train. Why? Because the bullet train that is supposedly being built will be that maglev train yeah. so it has a operating speed of more than 500 kilometers per hour that's almost 320 miles per hour it will be first built between tokyo and nagoya and then uh extended to osaka the airport but that won't happen before 2045 wow. <laughs> at least because that's one of the most expensive trains ever but then it would mean that you'd land at kix and in 40 minutes 40 minutes. Imagine the, the distance he does. Yeah. In 40 minutes, you are in Tokyo. That's incredible. I really hope they do I it. I do too. Given how much of a pain in the butt it is to get in. Well, not, not so much with Haneda, but Narita. That would be such a good idea to be able to just fly into Osaka, especially regionally, and then and then get into Tokyo that way. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, is it good for layovers? Osaka is next door. Osaka is a fine city. Osaka has amazing food. Alex, you will discover it Yes, soon. we're doing a show I there. I love, 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 love that city. So yes, it's a good uh, airport for layovers. So any flights coming up? You uh, to San Jose in two weeks. And then um, I'm go. ah, yes. And while I'm in California, I'm, of course, going over to Boston on JetBlue Mint Suite <laughs> on their A321. So I'm looking forward to that. And yeah. Nice. Yeah, well, as I said, I have so... Yeah, you're bouncing all over the place. Yeah, it would be an Asia month, maybe even two months. I'm going to, first I said to Italy. Now I'm going to land at Pisa, which I said has the worst <laughs> freaking lounge in the yeah. world. I'll, I'll report back if that's still there when I come back. Uh, whilst I'm in Italy, I have to go to Paris, sell the goal for one night and then come back. Then I'm going from... From Pisa to Rome with Alitalia, I really hope they are there. Still there, there yeah. Then I'm connecting to a flight, and it's a different ticket, to Seoul. Then I'm going from back from Seoul to London, and that's pretty much when we'll be able to record, because just a few days later, I'm going to Manila. I mentioned it earlier. I haven't decided of my route yet. That will be done today. And then uh, back from Manila, I'm going uh, a week later to uh, Bangkok via Singapore, as I just mentioned so cool. earlier in the show. So yeah, lots of travels, but we will find time to record yeah. because even though Alex will be in California, he will have his microphone with him. The advantage for me is that for him, it will be breakfast. And for me, I will have a nice glass of red wine yeah. or a beer <laughs> while we're doing this. <laughs> anyway, guys, it was a bit longer because uh, the next show will be a little bit delayed, but uh, happy travels. Safe travels, guys. <laughs> 